Welcome to season two of the Paper Talk podcast, where we have candid conversations with artists and industry leaders from around the world. Our goal is to share knowledge, connect our community, and elevate the artistry of our craft. Hi, I'm Jesse Chu. Hello, I am Quinn Wynn, and we are the founders of the Paper Floors Collective. Hello, everybody. Today, we are doing episode number 43. We are actually going to do a really fun one, something that I think every person should know, either in their personal life or in their business. We're going to talk about bookkeeping. So this is going to be an episode about the bookkeeping 101. And our guest today is a really amazing lady. Her name is Mika West. She is this Penny Mart girl and she is so savvy about bookkeeping, you guys. There is so much information that she is going to share with you today. So this is going to be a really fun podcast. Mika, welcome to the, our podcast. Hi, Hi Mika. thanks so much for having me, you guys. I can't believe you've been in business for over 10 years. That's amazing. You don't even look. If you guys can see her, she <laughs> Look like she's over. <laughs> Thank you. I will take morning compliments any day. <laughs> I think the really important question is, I think our listeners are either been in business for a couple years or they're thinking about starting a paper flower business. If you were to give one really good tip on when you're just starting out on bookkeeping, how soon should you be starting take notes on all the different aspects of bookkeeping. Well, actually, let's take it back. What is bookkeeping? So bookkeeping is basically a task that, I mean, just the boring (laughs) definition of it. It's basically just literally the recording of your book in your business. So any of the data that's going in, any data that's going out, that and anything that you're recording that is considered bookkeeping. I mean, back to Quinn's Mm -hmm. question, essentially, if somebody was considering opening their own small business or they are running their business, when should they consider getting onto this task of bookkeeping? It's hard because so I'm a, I feel like I'm a business owner first and then an accountant second. And, um, I can't imagine, um, you know, and this, everyone's personality is going to be a little different, but bookkeeping and finances are such the backbone of your business. I feel like you have to start it from the beginning. It's how you track how your business is doing. You know, if you have more money going out than you have coming in, that's kind of bookkeeping. You know, it's, it's just a more informal way of thinking about it. So I would say when's the best time to start is from the beginning because then you have that foundation laid. And, um, you know, if let's say a year went by and then you're at tax time, which happens a lot at tax time is not the (laughs) time to be starting your bookkeeping. Ideally, you want to be a little proactive. And, you know, even if it's something in a notebook that you're tracking, just tracking what, what your incoming and what your outcoming expenses and, and income are. And then at year end, you will thank yourself because you don't have to go through all of your receipts. Like, you know, essentially everything would be working. You would be working on it during that year. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that you wear kind of both hats as a bookkeeper and accountant. Can you explain to us the difference between a bookkeeper and accountant? An accountant is a job title person. Like I think, I mean, bookkeeper is also a title. I'm an accountant who does bookkeeping. The difference is just bookkeepers are, you know, we really have evolved over the last few years into more advisory roles. So I, I'm going to just generalize and say this does not encompass what every bookkeeper does. But typically, the way to look at the difference between bookkeeper versus accountant is that a bookkeeper is sort of like the first stop. They are going to be taking care of the day-to-day, you know, duties in terms of if you have bills to pay, if you have money coming in that has to go to the bank, and things like that. 
the accountant's role is going to be after the fact, like after the day-to-day is done, they're the ones that come in and prepare all of those, all of that data into financial report. They're the ones that prepare, they give more analysis on let's dive deeper into these numbers and see, you know, how did we do? Are, Are we making profit? Are we not making profit? Should we be you know, selling more of this or that, like it's more analytical. And you can also have a hybrid where it's a combination where it's an accountant who does both all rolled up into one. Accounting is very specialized, very similar to attorneys or doctors where we all, we don't typically generalize and do everything. We have specialties that we, that we generally excel at. So within that realm, (laughs) hopefully that helped that clarify. So you talked about receipt. Mm -hmm. Let's delve into that a little bit. So you get like receipts through emails. Mm-hmm. Now you get paper copies, you get credit card statements. Mm-hmm. So I try to have one credit card that I dedicate only for my business and awesome. you get a statement. So people have been asking me, so do you keep paper receipts even though you have a credit card statement? Can your credit card statement be your receipt? Uh, no, it cannot. <laughs> so I always look at when it comes to documentation, I look at it from a standpoint of an auditor. So what would pass in an audit? because I work directly with auditors, whether that was with the IRS or payroll audits within the state, city. This is kind of how the IRS looks at your being able to prove um, what your expenses were. In the example you gave of your credit card statement, your credit card statement will list, you know, very brief details like condensed. So it will say, you know, if you went to a restaurant or a coffee shop, it'll just list the date, who the who the merchant was and the amount. And on your receipt, the proper bookkeeping methodology is that you would write on that receipt what the business purpose was. And so, and if you, you know, were meeting with anyone who those people were, nothing fan, like nothing too elaborate, but it just needs a little bit more detail that your statement is not going to have. And so you want to keep your receipt and the answer, should it be paper? Paper is acceptable, but I also know that with receipts, the ink tends to disappear, rub away. And so, yes. um, you know, make, taking a photo of the receipt or getting a copy of the receipt is going to be more ideal because it's more reliable. But when it comes to what the IRS is going to look for, if you were ever selected for an audit or if you're preparing things to give to your tax accountant at, at your end, they would want often they will want backup to show. So, for example, if you said, you know, I had $10,000 worth of the, of bills and here are my bills. And the accountant would say, okay, well, do you have proof of re- like that you paid it? Do you have the payment receipt? And that payment receipt helps corroborate the statement because the statement could say, could just be very vague. And the receipt basically gives more detail. One of my apps that I love to use is actually QuickBooks Self-Employed. Mm-hmm. They have a great app where you can actually take a photo of your receipt mm-hmm. and they'll store it for you. I think it's only like $5 a month to maintain that. Is that correct for the it's yes. the, it's the phone app it's completely different from the quickbook online which mm-hmm. is way more expensive where mm-hmm. you actually do all your documentation you do all your bookkeeping journals yeah i think it's the pricing varies i think it's between five and seven is what i've seen and yeah the quickbook self-employed is a is a definite like great entry point into bookkeeping actually the 
the other online versions have that receipt capability as well. But the app that you're talking about with the QuickBooks self-employed, yeah, that's really great. You can just snap a picture and then it stores it for you and it's readily available. So if you were ever audited, you would have access to get those printed or mm-hmm. <laughs> however you were yep. wanting to get those to them. Exactly. So I make it a point, you guys. So when I go to like a restaurant or I do a meeting or there's parking, I take a picture of it. Well, I well I get the receipt. I write in who I met and there's already dates. So I don't have to put any of that. But who mm-hmm. I met, what it is, I take a picture of it and then I throw it away because I have it already. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping my backup never goes away. That's how I do it. And right. that's one way to reduce your paper intake. And so what do you do if you have, if the receipts email to you, how, what's the best way to organize this? Yeah. What's the best way to take care of that? I recommend that even if you're taking photos of it with your phone, that you're storing it in a folder. So the best way is to just has a designated file on your computer. I'm pretty, I'm a big fan of cloud-based storage. So even if it's on my computer, it's backed up to the cloud as a backup. I've heard too many stories of like my hard drive crashed and like I wasn't able to retrieve all of my documents. So having it backed up in the cloud is kind of like an extra backup that I definitely encourage. But just designating a folder, marking it something meaningful, expenses, income, you know, payment receipts, just something that's meaningful for you and just saving them with like this coming up with a naming convention that you're going to be consistent with. So a lot of people will save it with the date and who the vendor was and the amount. Some people, you know, they don't want to put the amount. They'll just put, but if you, if nothing else, putting the date and the merchant is going to help you at, when you're kind of rifling through all your receipts throughout the years. For sure. Your <laughs> For my e- yeah. My emails, I, I do print everything mm-hmm. out. It's like at the end of the year, it's like a crazy <laughs> amount. I print everything out, but I also PDF mm-hmm. a lot of them too. And you can do that on your computer. So if you don't want to print out mm-hmm. anything because you don't have a printer, you can easily, for listeners anyways, you can easily just hit, you know, print, control P, and then you usually have an option to either print it out or save it as a PDF. Mm-hmm. And then you can save it as a PDF receipt. And as Mika suggested, you know, putting in the date in the vendor and whatever other information you need to, um, that would help you remember what it is at one glance and then into the, into the folders. I mean, that's what I do, but I, yeah, nowadays, I guess the IRS for Mm -hmm. Americans, right. Or CRA Mm -hmm. for Canadians, they're really still really old school about this stuff. I mean, they still, if they are going to audit mm-hmm. everything, they still want things in their hands, Some right? Them, they've actually come around and they've actually been training on QuickBooks. Oh, that's great. Because, oh, that's good. Yeah, they realize that not everyone, and it does depend on what auditor you get. But, you know, I think the good rule of thumb is if you have the receipts in email, it's definitely great to save to PDF, print to PDF and put them in that designated folder. So you have it and see the bookkeeping comes into play because, you know, one thing you want to keep in mind is if you were audited, you kind of want to keep the auditors happy and not, you know, give them more work. Look through all the documents and be like, what is this? And so make it as easy on them as possible. So saving their receipts is how you manage your backup. But the bookkeeping is would be the act of, you know, taking those receipts and putting it into your bookkeeping system. So you have a report which summarizes all of those receipts. And so the receipts really are treated as just backup. Like if you needed more clarity on something, wanted to see if there was any missing detail, you could go to the receipt as backup. But normally the auditors will work if you have the summary report, they won't need all of the receipts to be printed. They will just have a select few. 
that they say, can you pull these for Mm -hmm. me? So that helps minimize your work and theirs. And talking about the categorizing your expenses or Mm -hmm. your income, Mm -hmm. how detailed do you need to be for a beginner that's just starting out in bookkeeping? Besides doing, this is an income, this is an expense, this is an office expense, this is a software expense. How detailed do you need to be when recording all these receipts? So there's a couple things when you're kind of organizing your data, you you split it into two categories, pretty much income versus expenses. And then the category is basically determined by the tax forms. Everything is sort of done if you keep this in mind with tax time in mind. So all of those categories that are kind of standard categories like office supplies or rent or cost of goods, professional expenses or continuing education, those are all based on what your tax forms would be. And so the category is typically tied to what IRS categories would be needed. And then the detail is what people would put, think of like, if you're writing a check, what you would put in the memo field. If it was, you're at Starbucks, we're in Seattle. (laughs) If you're at Starbucks (laughs) and everyone can see that it's a Starbucks receipt and it's like, well, I mean, this is obvious. I was having coffee or lunch at Starbucks. The detail would come in with you typing out, like you mentioned, when having the, the name of who you met with as that added detail. You don't have to say, we met and it was regarding this meeting you know, for an upcoming, like you don't have to give a story. It doesn't have to be a paragraph. Just who it was with or how many people and what the business purpose was. That could be one phrase. It could be a short sentence. It doesn't have to be super long narrative. So then if the memo says business related, mm-hmm. can you go into more details about that? What is business related? So business related would be, I mean, anything that it takes to run your business. And the thing to keep in mind is you really should be tracking anything business related as a business expense. It doesn't mean that you know, tax law changes every year. So some years they say, okay, you can no longer claim this or, you know, this year you can claim that. And so with, you know, I don't want people to get bogged down on like, I don't think I can, this doesn't count. It counts as a business. And so you want to track all your activity that was business related. And I can, I'll expand on that in a second. At tax time, that's sort of like the last step of what is determined of what you can actually claim. So I encourage people to not release edit yourself during the year, just capture everything. It's okay to have more info than is needed even because at tax time, that's when you'll really determine like what you can and can't claim. You don't want to underclaim and pay more taxes if you can help it. And what counts as a business expense, some of the common things that people overlook are, you know, if you're taking a class, trying to learn about trying to enhance a skill that you need more information on, or if you're purchasing a book that helps expand your knowledge. Workshops throughout the community, all of those can be considered continuing education or research for your, you know, for your work. And you know, with COVID-19, that's everything's happened. U.S. government has actually pushed the deadline tax. Is it now July 15th? It is. Yeah. So one thing, so there's, yeah. So for personal taxes and people that, you know, schedule C, business owners, self-employed, all of those are all tied to that. April 15th was the original Mm -hmm. deadline and it's been extended by 90 days. So if you owed money, if you needed to file, you don't have to worry about any of that until July 15th. So in Ontario, Mm -hmm. Canada, at least, we actually have different Mm -hmm. filing dates. And I'm I'm not sure if you do as well, but for personal versus corporate taxes, but also we also have differences in terms of filing for our personal income tax versus the 
let's say the withholding mm-hmm. tax as a small business, they're two different deadlines. And a lot of people actually aren't aware mm-hmm. of that. They don't realize that even though you can file your personal taxes by April mm-hmm. 30th and then your small business taxes, it depends on your on, on your calendar right. year, right? At the end of the year, you can file it. But they don't realize that the tax withhold mm-hmm. um, that you've withheld is also due on April 30th. So you can file mm-hmm. later as a small business, but the actual taxes you have to pay at the same time. Right. So a lot of people make that error of not really understanding mm-hmm. the deadlines. So actually, Mika, can you clarify what kind of deadlines that small businesses should be aware of yeah. in, I guess, yeah, in Washington? Sure. I don't know. You guys have different probably state taxes, mm-hmm. right? Deadlines. We do. Yeah. That is actually a really good point because there are a lot of, there's the, there's the federal deadlines, which is IRS. And then there is what is called local taxes, which are city and then there's state. And yep. so for Washington, <laughs> so many it, it's a lot. <laughs> and then, you know, so speaking, I'm just going to speak on Washington because all 50 states have their own special way of doing things because it's not uniform. And so for Washington, it's it's everyone's on the same calendar year and it depends on the type of business. The good thing about Washington is it treats all Washington businesses the same. So whether you're an LLC, multiple multiple partner, you know, sole proprietor, self-employed, it all However you identify, they treat them all the same. They tax us all the same. The thing that is different is your deadline. Most small businesses, when they're starting out, they will they base the deadline on your revenue. And so let's say you're starting out in your first, you know, your first year. If you are under the hundred thousand dollar threshold, you will be for the state, you will be an annual filer. If you're in retail, because they anticipate sales tax, they typically will have you on a quarterly or a monthly schedule. And then for city, depending on what city you're in, there, you know, some cities don't enforce this. It's not every state doesn't require it. Or for the ones that do, they're typically annual deadline. So for example, for Seattle, it would be every year you have to file your they call it business license tax, which is just sounds crazy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, you, you know, they tie it to if you're in Seattle, you, you need a business license and, and that's annual. And then you pay taxes on the revenue for that business license. So hence business license tax. For the Department of Revenue, Washington State, they basically are having you pay on, it's called your business and occupation tax. And basically you're just paying on whatever your gross revenue was. And then the sales tax comes in if you're retail. Do you guys have um, a, a lot of sales tax in your, You, I would imagine you have retail as well as regular service? Yeah. We have only one type of mm-hmm. tax. I think it's a little bit more. So our state or our province mm-hmm. provincial tax and mm-hmm. our federal tax, we file it all mm-hmm. at once, once yeah. a year. And then the actual because we have a harmonized tax in Ontario, we're lucky that we don't have to separate out the federal and provincial mm-hmm. tax. So we only issue one payment, I guess, yeah. if you do collect retail mm-hmm. tax or I guess retail or harmonized tax. So it's a little bit easier that way that we don't have to figure it out what we mm-hmm. have to pay because our income tax return determines the calculation of what we have to pay. And then we just pay it once. And then I guess the government just divides the tax oh, nice. between provincial and yeah. federal afterwards. So we don't have to separate tax returns a little bit easier but obviously if you're a corporation that's a completely Mm -hmm. separate tax that you have to to consider but otherwise if you are personal and you are sole Mm -hmm. proprietor you just do one tax or one sorry one one income income tax tax. return yeah yeah 
Yeah. I like that it's called harmonized tax. Yeah, they changed it a couple, several years back. It used to be GST and PSC, so provincial mm-hmm. and government. But at the same time, I'm pretty sure you just do mm-hmm. one, you issue it once. Nice. And then the government separates it and then relocates wow. the taxes through them. That yeah. Is... So it's easier than having citizens yeah. do it because like you know, a lot of people <laughs> would have no idea. Would have no idea. There's a lot of work. It is. I have a question. So at one point someone told me, I don't know if this is true, but if you, let's say you live outside of Seattle area, mm-hmm. the city of Seattle, mm-hmm. I live in the city of Kirkland. Do I need to get a city license? in Kirkland and Seattle because I do business in both cities? The popular answer with accountants will be, it depends. I know. (laughs) (laughs) That's such an accountant answer. And and attorneys do too. Um, We've been trained to, we need more info before we definitively answer, right? So it does depend on every city. Kirkland, typically if they have, if they're big enough to have a chamber of commerce or a city of Kirkland website, you can go on there and check what the qualifications are. But I happen to know from my experience that Kirkland does have a city they have a business license and they would say wherever you're doing business you should have a license there but there are some um, nuances with that some of it is once you make over a certain amount so they base it off threshold so a lot of people when they first start out they will you know get licenses in every every city they think they might do business. And I think it's a good rule of thumb to wait until you've made the sales before you get the business license in the cities. Like I said, not all of the cities require it. Some of them are too small and just, but I know Kirkland is one that does have some parameters around that. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's, that. I mean, I can just imagine you would get, you would have to get business licenses from a Mm -hmm. lot of different Mm -hmm. cities. Luckily, Seattle encompasses quite a few in the metro area. So a lot of them are kind of all like lumped in, but you know, like Gwen said, a lot of them are on the outskirts. So Kirkland Mm -hmm. is still in King County. It's just... It's just something you have to take on a case-by-case basis and just kind of evaluate where you are. Food trucks, for example, um, if they are not in one stationary spot and they're going all mm-hmm. the length of the state, they often are surprised to find that they have to get licenses and all the cities are traveling through. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Wow. Oh, another thing I found out, like taxes. We have varying taxes per county or mm-hmm. city. Mm-hmm. So if you were delivering it, because we, I think we have a, the highest tax. So Seattle is 10.1. I believe Kirkland is 10. Bellevue is 10. Woodenville is 10. I think it, you are taxed when you deliver your product to wherever your client lives. But if they happen to pick it up in a lower sales tax, then you would charge the place that they pick up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's called, I mean, this is bookkeeping 101, so I won't delve too deeply into this, but um, that's what's called tax nexus, where Mm -hmm. basically there's three different types of nexus, but the tax nexus is based on location. So with online sales, for example, there's Yes, I was going to ask you that. That was our next question. (laughs) Because it was like a good segue to it. I read your mind. That is a really hot topic right now because basically Wayfair kind of set the tone on a lot of lawsuits to be researched and looked into. A lot of law students are getting their studies worth because Wayworth kind of changed the way the whole online landscape kind of like deals with sales tax. Amazon, I would I would have thought it would have been Amazon that kind of set that tone, but basically it's still in development. They have changed the sales tax law three times last year. I expect it will. So it was like 
January of last year, the spring of last year, and then July of last year. And so they're, I believe in the Supreme Court kind of, you know, going back and forth about how do we deal with this when people are in Washington, for example, and they're shipping things out to Illinois or New York, who pays that tax? You know what I mean? Like, does the customer have to pay it for the state that they're in? Or do they have to pay it for the state that, you know, they came from? And Oregon, who doesn't have sales tax is like, well, we're not, we're exempt. It's still the best answer is developing as we speak. I don't know if you noticed that with Oregon, they actually changed it to where in grocery stores, they 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 are collecting sales tax and then they have to get reimbursed from their state, you know, to show that they're exempt. And it's so it's it's such a headache. So the accountants are, you know, behind the scenes trying to kind of like wait for them to finalize it before we can start saying, okay, this is the new standard of how we do it because it has changed so many times. But Mm -hmm. um, but the short answer is that it depends. (laughs) And that um, it really, you know, can be looked at on a case by case basis. One of the good things about our Washington Department of Revenue is they will, if you're unsure and you need guidance, they will actually let you fill out a form where they will help you. And I know it's, you know, people like, oh, I bet they will help me, but it's better to kind of flag them and say, hey, I have this gray area. I'm not really sure. Can you give me, I think they call it, oh, I'm trying to think of the terminology they use. It's not an audit, but it's basically like a survey of they'll look at what what cities you're servicing and they'll help you figure out within the state, like here's kind of like the parameters you should follow for that. And if it's out of state, they typically don't, they're only interested in the state. So that's kind of where things are right now that people are being taxed on, on the Washington state tax and they're not really getting into like, you know, you needing to collect for other state. They're only, they're selfish and only thinking, and I mean, I understand (laughs) that's too much to try to maintain. Well, I mean, just also thinking logistically, Mm -hmm. how do you keep track of that? Like, I mean, in my head, it would make sense that if it would be where you're Mm -hmm. located, that's the easiest way to do it. But I can also see why some people might or some states might don't have mm-hmm. as much revenue, might want to claim that oh, yeah. tax themselves. Can I ask you, what about internationally? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, that's in, in the mm-hmm. United States, that is. In Canada, in terms of filing, it actually says that we don't, our tax law says that we don't need to uh, charge mm-hmm. tax to international mm-hmm. buyers. But if any of the buyers are within any of the provinces, then we do have to charge that province's tax. The great right. thing is there are some programs out there, you know, like Squarespace and even Shopify, those automatically calculate it because I guess they have mm-hmm. it in their app that, you know, if they're from this province, this is the tax that you apply, which is fantastic. Right. right. But yeah, what do you do? I guess in the States, what do you do if you're charging, or yeah. sorry, if you're shipping something else internationally, even to, let's say, Canada? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's really difficult for anyone to, I would never expect anyone to be, to manually be calculating that. Although I know there are some people that do, but if you're dealing with international sales tax, that is one area where you can have some leeway with like what accounting system you use, but anything internationally, you really do want to have a software that you're using because it's going to have the most up-to-date tax tables. It's going to have the most up-to-date, you know, tax rate. And so really enabling the state, the state and zip code in your software is kind of, I mean, that's the best way that I, that's what I recommend for people to utilize those tools so that they will calculate it for you. I researched that a little bit and I think there's like, if anyone's interested, there's TextJar. Mm-hmm. And what's the other one? Avalara. Avalara. Yeah. TextDrive is, I've, I haven't used it personally, but I've heard it's really good. Avalara is, I know their pricing can vary, but they are probably 
the most accurate, but it certainly doesn't mean that's the only one you can use. The key is if you're using something and you have the backup to show like, this is what I, you know, here's, here's my receipt. This is how much I, you know, took out. And then when you file your state taxes, that's kind of where everything kind of gets like reconciled of if there was not enough taxes taken out or, you know, too much taken out, that's kind of how the tracking works. So, but yeah, TaxJar and Avalara are two um, really great softwares. If it's not, so those typically work with your accounting system. And then I know Shopify, PayPal, and I'm forgetting the third one that you mentioned. Oh, Squarespace, where they, they do calculations as well. And also Etsy does it too. Oh, yeah. Etsy. I think most of them do. The one that I was going to say that doesn't is Teachables. Oh. Just say, I think because they're from the EU, so they do calculate VAT for you, but they don't calculate, let's say, Canadian Mm -hmm. or American taxes. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, at the end of the year, when you print out all all the income, all the revenue, I guess, revenue that you receive from from your sales of your, let's say, Mm -hmm. online courses, you actually do have to manually go back, determine where these people are from location-wise, and then do the taxes yourself. And see, it, yeah. it is a pain. So if you stop using yeah. it, yeah. <laughs> that's good to know because yeah, it's hard to keep kind of a list of like what does and what that most of them do. And again, that's where that that bookkeeping comes into play because in you know if you're keeping good bookkeeping records, you for your receipts you would be putting their location. So it's not a lot of manual work at you're in having to build that data, but it does happen. You know, sometimes you do have to you know get into the the data and kind of recreate and and clean it up a bit. So when would a person hire a bookkeeper? <laughs> it really is a, it depends on, you know, it's different for everyone. I recommend if you, typically if people are, it's hard because <laughs> I'm, I know I've, I've worked with people that are, you know, pre-revenue and they're like, I need a bookkeeper because I just, this is out of, outside of my scope of everything out of my wheelhouse. And it, just they don't want to deal with it. I would say at, in the beginning, I think it's very it, valuable, even just having like just a check-in with an accountant bookkeeper just to kind of get you started, not necessarily needing to hire them on a monthly basis or a quarterly basis, but just, hey, I'm getting started. You know, can I have a training session with you to go over the basics? And then you teach me how to do this on my own. I highly recommend people kind of learn how to kind of do the basics on their own so they know kind of the logistics of it. And then the good rule of thumb of when it's time to hire one is when you're too busy with your business to keep up on the business and that sort of back-end administrative work. So if you find yourself struggling to get receipts out or invoicing out, that's a good sign it's time to get some help. (laughs) Because obviously, you know, making money is kind of one of the you know, we don't go in business to, you know, become millionaires per se, but we are trying to make a living. So anything that's sort of impeding on you being able to get your invoicing out and, you know, stay on top of your tax deadlines and you need an extra set of hands, I would say, yeah, if things are, it's hard to say like the absolute rule of when. So essentially come, I I mean, I would highly recommend if you have no bookkeeping background or you're not comfortable with numbers Mm -hmm. that at least you go to a bookkeeper at the beginning to set up your 
quote unquote yeah. system. Mm-hmm. Whether it's an Excel or a QuickBook or mm-hmm. anything, exactly. yeah. just getting that system. Any kind of, yeah. definitely. Yeah. And then, like you said, having some training in terms of how do mm-hmm. I record? What do I need right. to do? Um, ideas of basic categories exactly. I have to look out for when I'm, when I'm keeping track. I mean, I think those are like very basic things that it totally. without those tools, you don't really know where to start and I think, or how to start. I think the biggest, you know, one of the, one of the hardest things, like when I am, you know, working with clients or, you know, doing a workshop or whatever, one of the main reoccurring things, themes that I see come up is people are, I'll ask them, so how did your business do last year? And they're like, I don't know. I was really busy. (laughs) And, you know, they have no idea how they did. You know, they don't, you know, roughly how much their expenses are every month. They don't know how much they're bringing in every month. And so, you know, for me as a, as an accountant and money coach, I, I want, you know, the people I work with to know, I want my clients to be able to know those numbers of I'm making a profit or mm-hmm. I have this sales goal and I fell short by this much, you know, like, so the metrics will be different for everyone. But the key is, are you even looking for those, you know? And so having, even if you, you mentioned having an Excel form, some people still use like a checkbook register. And my thumb there is, I don't care what you use as long as you use something. That's like the the trademark thing that I tell my people, you have to be using something because having it in your, in your head isn't going to serve you. <laughs> so, so true, especially you know. when the auditor comes around. Oh, well, definitely then. <laughs> on that, I mean, on a segue, yeah. segue, because you did mention, you know, something. What do you recommend? Are there like a handful of apps or systems mm-hmm. that you recommend? Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's so many, there's so many options. I tend to, me personally, I don't have the bandwidth to like explore all of them. But, you know, for small businesses, because I've used well over 10 or 15 different systems just in this decade of, of this career. QuickBooks is the standard. That's kind of the gold standard of the industry, mainly because bank, credit card, auditors, IRS, like that is what they've come you know, become accustomed to, to working with. So that would be the standard. And then after that, I would say zero is another option. Keeping in mind that zero QuickBooks are going to be more geared for people with an accounting background. So it can be overwhelming for the, you know, for the general business owner who doesn't, didn't go to school for that. So for people who really want something user-friendly, FreshBooks and Wave are two options that I've heard. I've used them. It's taking it with a grain of salt. I'm going to be looking at it from an accountant standpoint, but from a user standpoint, that seems to be really user-friendly. There's some project management systems out there like 17 Hats and Upsado that have have a bookkeeping component built in and that's user-friendly. I think the key to keep in mind is if you're not doing your taxes at tax time, look at how easy it is to get the information to the accountant. You know, are the reports ready to go as is or do you have to like export them and kind of manipulate them a bit to get them to the accountant. And that's kind of a, if you get to that point, that's, that's something to keep in mind. Mm -hmm. But for the day-to-day, for the user standpoint, I would say that the key players are FreshBooks and Wave are are two of the top faves I see. And then for people who are wanting a more like established software, QuickBooks and Xero are kind of the leaders on that. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much, Mika. It was such a pleasure having you on our show and just to learn more about ways to do your bookkeeping. That's Mm -hmm. really great. (laughs) Yeah, you're so welcome. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much, Mika. I mean, this talk has been so informative. And I think our listeners are going to find it really, really helpful as well. Awesome. 
And if you guys have any questions at all, drop it down below. We'll have Mika back on to answer them back on for you guys. Yeah, and Mika, you have a blog. So I think our listeners would be super interested in checking out your blog. I I went through it myself. There's budgeting advice, there's tips, really, really helpful. So we'll drop that in the blog as well. But uh, just to let our listeners know, what is the URL? It's pennysmartgirl.com. So head over there if you want to learn more about bookkeeping and accounting. Mika's been a wealth of information. Thank you guys. So awesome to hang out with you this morning. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. 